Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. First Peter chapter 2. Let me just preach. Get out all that stuff. First Peter chapter 2. Hey, if you're joining us online or at one of our campuses, thank you so much for engaging with us today. No matter how you're here, thank you for being here. I started the series a few weeks ago, and I'm loving it, preaching through First Peter, talking about our faith being under fire, living for Christ in a hostile world. But remember that the book of First Peter was written by Peter in about AD 60-ish in that area, in that era. And the church at Rome was under tremendous persecution, tremendous persecution. It was only going to get worse. What had happened was the culture had turned against Christianity and Christ. I mean, 30 years after the death of Jesus, the culture has radically turned against Christianity and Christ. And so uh, they're having to live for Christ in that hostile culture where that's where we are. That's where we are really around the world in a lot of places, but that's really where we are in America today, that that the world, the culture in America has by and large turned against Christianity, and we're starting to see it in the news, in the government, and the laws. As a matter of fact, this won't come as a surprise to a lot of you when California does something a little bit crazy, but I don't know if you've heard about law AB 957 in California. It says that parents will lose custody if they refuse to affirm their child's transgender delusions and fully endorse medical and surgical procedures. In custody disputes, the parent who affirms the child's transgenderism will receive favorable treatment from the court, section 3011. AB 957 deliberately omits a minimum age. The bill's author testified that its provisions should apply to children as young as seven years old. It says that a, the bill would classify not affirming your child's gender as abuse. State Rep. Lori Wilson said affirming a child's gender is in their best interest, which is key language when it comes to custody and really defects cases. Parents could lose custody of their child if they don't affirm their gender. If passed, the law could see children pulled from their parents' home if their family members have what the state deems anti-LGBTQ plus ideals. And by the way, Christianity would fall under that category where we believe there are two genders created by God, male and female. Representative Wilson, who has a transgender son, she said during a recent meeting that she believes parents supporting their child's gender is in their best interest. We should be affirming our children in every possible way, she proposed at the last minute addition to the family code bill. In the eyes of the states, parents who reject gender ideology are abusers of children. I want to be honest with you, when I was about eight years old, I thought I was Tarzan. I'd go get a butter knife, strip down to my underwear, go out on the front porch, 
tie a rope to a tree and try to swing from a tree. That's legit. Under this law, I suppose, my parents would have been labeled as child abusers for making me put clothes on, get rid of a knife, and go back in the house and tell me I'm not Tarzan. Scott Wilk, who is a Republican state senator in California, summarized the gist of the AB 957 bill nicely. He said, and I saw him say it on video, I watched it. He said, and I quote, I want you to hear this. He, he is a California state senator. He said, if you love your children, you need to flee California. You need to flee. Here's a prayer saying, praying it stays in California or even gets eliminated even from California. This is where we are. Affirm or else. Because Christianity would say that we can't change genders. We cannot change sexes. We, we, you're either born male or you're born female. And that no matter what surgical or matter, no matter what hormone treatment you may have, you are what you were born to be. But yet if you hold to that ideology, the state of California is saying you are a child abuser. I'm saying that to say it is just another example of the culture turning against basic Christianity. So I'm looking at 1 Peter chapter 2 today. I want to preach this message, shut them up. That'll make sense when we get into the sermon. Because the Roman church was under persecution. And Paul said, Peter rather said, here's what you need to do. Peter said this. Here's the gist of my whole sermon today. It's going to take me a minute to get there, but hold on. The gist of the whole sermon is this. Peter said this. Let our good works silence our critics. Let our good works silence our critics. I want to be honest with you. The Bible is amazing to me. Sometimes God just works this out, and I love it when he does. Uh, I halfway uh, thought about preaching a... Uh, you know, 10 ways, can God bless America? 10 ways God can bless America type sermon. Until I dug into the text for this week, and the text for this week deals with Christians being model citizens in the country in which they reside. So God kind of already worked it out for me, and I want to lean in on that a little bit today. I'll be honest with you, today is going to be one of the most, uh, I, I, it's going to deal with one of the most, some of the most mundane subjects you can imagine, but yet, it can be the ones that can make the biggest impact. So 1 Peter chapter 2, and I want to read there. I'll get there in just a moment. I want to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have been accused of something unjustly or unfairly sometime? Maybe in your family, maybe on your job. Uh, look, like a bill... Bill AB 957, where, where they might say you're a child abuser, but you're not. We're not normally dealing with something that monumental, but sometimes you've been accused of doing something you've not done. Well, imagine this morning if you, the frustration you have when somebody accuses you of doing something you didn't do. Can you imagine being Walmart? So what does Walmart have to do with this. Here's what Walmart has to do with this. Walmart gets sued 5,000 times a year. 5,000 times a year. The majority of these lawsuits come from the company's employees uh, uh, because of workplace discrimination or personal, energy, uh, uh, personal injury. Some of these cases go to trial some go to settlement. Walmart just won't settle with you because you sue them. If you're, if you're accusing them unjustly, they will take you to court. But every day of the year, imagine this, every day of the year, 
Walmart is accused 20 times a day of wrongdoing on average, 15 to 20 times a day. Every single day, someone is looking at Walmart and said, you did me wrong. Sometimes the accusations are unfounded. Sometimes the accusations are justified. What does that have to do with us? Well, believe it or not, in a hostile culture, the same problem is coming to us. There is coming a day, and it already is here, where the culture is going to be looking for reasons to accuse us of wrongdoing, not because of something we did wrong, but because of our ideals about Christianity, because of what A.B. Bill, A.B. 957 talked about, where you could be raising your child in a godly, Christ-centered home, loving your child, teaching them the Bible, yet somebody step in and say, you're abusing your child. Those kind of accusations are coming against Christians. And you say, there's no way that would spread across the nation. Listen, that is the devil's plan. The devil's plan is laid out before us in the book of the Revelation, chapter 12, verse 10. Look at what he said. I heard a loud voice in heaven say the sa- that salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters, the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. Why is that important? Because the Bible describes Satan as this way. He is constantly accusing brothers and sisters. That is his tactic, ladies and gentlemen. That is how he operates, that he will destroy us. He will destroy you. He'll try to destroy Christianity with accusations because it's who he is and it's how he operates. So you may have done nothing wrong. You may be living a godly life, but yet the enemy could come after you. It's that way now. And it's only going to get worse. Well, how do we deal with that? What does God want us to do in a culture of accusation that's led by Satan himself? Well, let's look in the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2. Would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it? 1 Peter chapter 2. Look beginning in verse number 11. Dear friends... I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Verse 18, household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and, uh, and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. For it brings favor if because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. What credit is there if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do good, 
But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Thank you. You may be seated. So Peter's telling us that accusations are going to get worse, that we aren't, that we aren't to come out looking for a fight, which tends to be our typical reaction, but there is a specific biblical way to deal with an accusing culture in a hostile world. Let me give you three things this morning that Peter said. Number one, he said this, remember this world is not your home. Remember that child of God, that this world is not your home. He tells us that in verses 11 and 12. And in those verses, he uses some language that we need to hear. First of all, Peter calls us an exile. What is an exile? The word in the Greek is someone who is passing through a country without intending to become a permanent resident. Passing through a country without intending to become a permanent resident. That is you and I. You say, what do you mean by that? We are not, we are not residents of this world. We are not residents of this culture. If you have been born again, you are an exile in this nation. You aren't meant to make your home. He goes on to emphasize it even more. He calls us strangers. What does the word strangers mean? It is someone living as a resident outside the country of their birth, but enjoying some of the rights and privileges as a full citizen. So here's what, here's what Peter is saying about us. Peter's saying you're an, you're an exile in this world. You're a stranger in this world. Yes, you live in this culture. Yes, you live in this era. Yes, you live uh, here in America for us or wherever you may be watching. You, you live there, but you're not really a citizen as America. I may have a passport that says I do, but here's the good news. I have a passport in heaven that says I am a citizen of heaven. It is Revelation chapter 20 and that says, my name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. That is where my citizenship is. It is in heaven. I am just a stranger here. I am just an exile here. Philippians chapter 3, Paul said it this way, but our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is is in heaven. What Paul was trying to tell us and what Peter was trying to emphasize is that we should not get too caught up in the goings on here. Why? The reality is this world is not my home. The reality is America is not my home. The reality is this culture is not my home. That means my investments should not primarily be here. My focus should not primarily be here. They should be otherworldly. Why? Because I'm a stranger in this culture. I'm I'm in exile in this culture. My citizenship is in heaven, and I shouldn't get too wrapped up. And so here's what I want to tell you. When the world turns against you, when this culture turns against you, hear me, don't take it personally. This world is not your home. Don't get overly infatuated with our culture. 
Don't get overly infatuated with pop culture. Don't get overly infatuated with success and the news on the television or making money here or fame. This is not our world. I'm just an exile. I'm just a stranger. And I don't need to get wrapped up in too much that's going on here. Our Braves are on a roll. Anybody a Braves fan in the room, man? Our Braves are on a roll. 24-1-4 in June, 1-0 in July. Man, it's awesome. Uh, I love baseball. You, you ask, I love it. I love the numbers. I love the game. love everything about uh, baseball. And I and, uh, have since I was a little, little boy. And one of the things my wife are trying to do um, my wife and I, uh, we're trying to get to all the baseball stadiums before I die. No, no, and like 90 years old, you know, before I die, or 100 years old. I don't want 90s, I don't want to set the bar too low. We're trying to get to all the stadiums, trying to get all the stadiums. Matter, matter of fact, the church gave me for my 50th birthday a free trip to any stadium in America, and I haven't taken it yet. COVID messed all that up, and we're hoping to take it very soon. But most of the time, not all the time, I'm going to show you an, an exception. Most of the time when my wife and I, go to another baseball stadium. We've been to 17, 18 stadiums so far. When my wife and I go to another stadium, we wear our Braves jerseys if it works out. But it worked out in um, uh, uh, just about a year ago, we went to San Diego Petco Park. Now, we're not in our Braves jersey here. Uh, We didn't have it on the trip with us. Uh, However, I could have shown you one where I am wearing a Braves jersey, but it was Fat Joel, and I didn't want to put that picture up. So, so I just decided to put this one up. We, we, we didn't get to take our Braves jerseys to this game, but this is out in the grassy area beyond the outfield stands at Petco Park in San Diego. I think it's Petco Park in San Diego. And uh, we, we love doing that. We love going to other games. We, we love to order. We love to order the food. I, I'll Google the best thing to eat at this stadium. We love the stadium experience. We, 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 we just love everything about it. And here's what we do. We go in. And most of the time, because we can't follow the Braves, it doesn't work out with our schedule. It's normally two teams I don't care about playing. And if it's not a rival of the Braves, I'll cheer for the home team. But I don't really care. I really don't. I don't really care. We went to see the Colorado Rockies a few years ago, and it was pouring the rain. And the rain... The rain pouring turned into a steady drizzle, and we hadn't bought tickets yet, and we were standing up, um, uh, we were standing in line to buy tickets, and a guy comes up to us and says, hey, y'all want to go to the game? And we're like, yeah. He's like, I got a group here. We're not going, because uh, it's rain. Here, just take our tickets. He just gave us his tickets, and we, we used them, walked into the stadium, and we stayed for three innings, because it was a steady drizzle the entire time. It was nine o'clock at night. We were soaked to the bone, and you know what? I don't really care. My team's not playing. I mean, I'm here for the food. That's fine. I'm here for the experience. That's fine. But I'm not wrapped up in a game when my team is not playing. Why? Because it ain't my team. I mean, I don't mind enjoying the experience, but I'm not going to get all upset when everybody stands up and cheers for a home run. I go get another Diet Coke. Why? Because I don't care. It's not my stadium. It's not my team. 
If you're going to have the right perspective about dealing with a hostile culture, you've got to remember this world is not your home. You are a citizen of another place. To put it shortly, this ain't your team. Your team is your brothers and sisters in Christ. Your team resides in heaven. And just know this, the culture is not going to love you. That's okay. The culture is not going to agree with you. That's fine. The culture is not going to understand you. The culture is not going to like you. That's fine. We don't like them either. We'll enjoy the food. We'll have a good time at the experience at the experience. But hey, when Jesus checks us out, we'll be glad to go when we go. Because it's not my home. You say, preacher, if I take this stand, I'm gonna lose friends. They're not your friends anyway. Well, preacher, if I believe that, people are gonna say bad things about me. Hey, come on in, the water's fine. And the problem with one reason we've lost America is we care too much about what the world thinks. We care too much about what the culture thinks. We get more concerned, hear me, and by the way, can I say this? It's incredibly prevalent with pastors and churches. They care more about pleasing the culture than they do pleasing God. And they forget one day we'll all stand before the great judgment seat of Christ. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for everything done in this body, whether good or whether bad. That's, I need to remember now, this world is not my home. This world is not your home. So who are you more concerned about pleasing, the culture or God? You want to impact America? Care more about pleasing God than you do the culture of America, and you can impact America. Peter says another thing, though. You want to shut the world up? Remember, it's not your home, and you don't really care. Number two, he said this, be a model citizen. <laughs> be a model citizen. Peter says this, don't give them any reason to accuse you of wrong. Why? You're not, you're, you're actually not a citizen of this world. You're an ambassador of heaven. Look at what Paul said, 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Here's what you are in this culture. You, you are an ambassador of heaven. You, you live in this world as an exile, as a stranger, but here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to represent the kingdom of heaven while we're on earth. Ambassadors were expected to conduct themselves with dignity and respect during their missions, and they were often chosen for their intelligence, rhetorical skill, diplomatic experience. And so you would be chosen as an ambassador to go into a foreign country and represent your country while you're in a foreign country. That's what we are. We are an ambassador of heaven. God has chosen us to step into this world and to represent Christ on his behalf, represent our king on the king's behalf. And so when we do that, we should be a model citizen in the land in which we now temporarily reside. And listen to what he said. Listen to what he said. Because we don't like all this. He said, submit to every human authority. To the emperor, 
to the governor. Submit as free people, meaning we don't have to, but we will. Honor everyone. Love your brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, the overarching theme of this whole passage, these verses 13 through 17, is fear God. That tells us how to act in a foreign country. First of all, we fear God. But here's what Peter was saying. When the laws of man do not violate the laws of God, we should obey the laws of man. We live in a foreign land, and we should represent the kingdom of heaven as well by not being disorderly in the land in which we reside. You said, well, that was easy to do in Peter's day. Was it? Look at that phrase. Do you know who the emperor was? It was Nero. Nero had been in power for several years by the time Peter was written. Nero, I remind you, used Christians as human torches to light the streets. Nero, who's going to crucify Peter upside down for the gospel's sake. That very Nero, that crazy Nero, that sociopath Nero, Peter said, honor the emperor. I tried to do a Greek study. I even re-looked at it early this morning. I tried to do a Greek study, study to uh, 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 get around the word honor, you know. The word in the Greek is timao in the Greek, T-I-M-I-O, timao in the Greek. And it, but you can't really get around it. The same word is used of honor your father and mother and to honor Christ. Same, same Greek word is in the category. And so, look, I can't really get around honor the emperor. I'll be honest, listen to me carefully. There's nobody in this room gets more frustrated with our government than me. Okay, hear me say that. But Christians still ought to have a respect for our current president and leaders. You say, well, I don't like what they do. Neither do I. But if you're going to follow the Bible, if you don't like them, vote them out. But if they're in charge, the Bible says, honor the emperor. And I remind you, the emperor was Nero. Our job is to represent the kingdom of Christ well. Y'all know this. I only spend a lot of time here. Same thing was probably true in your life. When my parents would need to go away from somewhere, oftentimes my dad died young, but he had multiple surgeries before he died, and we'd have to spend the night with relatives or somebody while he was having a surgery. My dad would drop us off uh, at a relative's house, and he'd give me the speech. You know the speech, right? You give it to your kids, right? You gave it to your kids. My wife gave it to our kids. Every time somebody keep our kids for an hour, they gave him the speech. But my dad would drop me off, and he'd give me the speech, and he'd give the people I was staying with the speech as well. My speech was this, Joel, I am telling you, you had better act right when I drop you off. You had better uh, not act up. You'd better not get in trouble. You'd better not cause them any trouble. When I come back, all I'd need to hear from these people I'm dropping you off with is what a good child you are. If, you don't, if I don't hear that, I don't even have to hear anything negative. If I don't hear what a good kid you are, you are in trouble when I get you home. And trouble by my dad only meant one thing, and I'll leave it to your imagination. But then he'd drop me off at maybe a relative's house, aunt or uncle, and he'd give them the speech. And their speech went like this. Hey, if he acts up, you tear him up just like he's your child. Matter of fact, if he acts up at your house, I want you to whip him. I want you to tell me you whipped him, and then I'm going to whip him again because you had to whip him when, you, when he was here. And my dad would say it in front of me. 
My dad would say, like, you got that, son? You hear that? I don't want to hear any complaints. If they whip you, it's your fault. So, I, I mean, I'm walking. It's the same thing he told my teachers at school. He, he'd tell my teachers at school, man, if you're a school teacher, you'd love this nowadays, wouldn't you? He'd tell my teachers at school, if I get called to the school, and he did, if I get called to the school, uh, listen, I'm not even going to ask for his side of the story. You just call me, and he'll be dealt with. And my dad would tell me this. You carry my name wherever I drop you off. And I want you to represent our family name well. That's exactly what Christ is trying to tell us here in this passage, that you carry my name. In a hostile culture, you carry my name. And here's what he told us to do. Look at this. Man, it's so good. He said, I want you to silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. It's the same thing my dad told me when he dropped me off somewhere. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. When they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God. Here's what Peter was trying to tell us, that you be a model citizen. You model the kingdom of heaven and your King Jesus in front of a lost and dying world. And the culture may be angry with you, but they won't have a reason for being angry because when they investigate, all they're going to find is your good works. All they're going to find is your good lifestyle. All they're going to find is your good conduct. And not one truth will stick. Not one accusation will stick. And so Peter said, shut them up with good works and good works and conducting yourself honestly. Silent the ignorance of foolish people. Is that how you live your life? Does your attitude leave calls for accusation? Could it be your attitude drives people away from Christ? Could it be your actions when you go to work on Monday, what you're, t- you're talking about your weekend, does that drive people away from Jesus? Does your kindness drive people away, your lack of kindness drive pull does the way you encourage people or discourage them, does it drive them away or pull them in? Does your helpfulness drive them away or lack thereof or does it pull them in? Listen, you are an ambassador of Jesus' kingdom. Give the king a good name. Listen, I remind you, I remind you. Sodom and Gomorrah, hear me. We want to sit around and blame America on all the lost people. You know what the lost people in America are doing? What lost people do. The problem in America is not all the lost people. The problem in America is wheat watered down Christians. Can I remind you, you say we're living in a modern day Sodom and Gomorrah. Can I remind you that Sodom and Gomorrah's wickedness did not get them destroyed? Their lack of 10 righteous people got them destroyed i mean the bargain was if you find 10 righteous people will you spare sodom and gomorrah and the angel of the lord said yes if i can find 10 righteous people i will spare sodom and gomorrah but they couldn't find 10 righteous people and the problem in america is not the sinfulness of sinners that's what they do that's what they've always done the problem in america is god is having a hard time finding the righteous remnant You want God to bless America? Don't worry about the world. Worry about what, who's in the house. 
When you, be a model citizen. When your name is mentioned in the community, it should only be good. When your name is mentioned in the neighborhood, it should only be good. When your name is mentioned online, it should only be good. Because when you're a model citizen to the culture, they may level accusations, but Peter said it will not stick. Finally, number three, how do we make a difference? Shut up the culture that's around us. Number three, he said, and I know this is not exciting preaching, but it'll make such a huge impact. He said, number three, be a model employee. Now, he's using the terminology of 18 through 25 of slaves and masters. We would would translate that into employee-employer in in our day. And Peter tells us that we should submit and be reverent to the good bosses, hear me, and the bad bosses. When When you do bad on your job and you're punished, you know what? Peter says you deserved it, right? But when you do good and are punished, here's what Peter says. When you do good and you're punished, here's what Peter said, that brings favor with God. Hey, flip back in your Bibles, because we read it a long time ago. I want you to go back and see it. Flip back in your Bible. Look at verse number 20. For what credit is there if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. Look at verse 21. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Listen, Peter said, when you are uh, suffering for your good works, that, listen, that brings favor with God. You say, preacher, I don't like suffering for doing good. Neither do I. Neither did Jesus. But you're never more like Jesus than when you're suffering for your good because that's what he did on the cross. And the payday down here may not be great, but the payday in heaven will be. And Peter goes on in verse 23, when he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Ephesians 6, don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from the heart. Be a model employee. You know what? If you'll just work nowadays... If you can just show up about time, just in the range, you beat the rest of the culture. If you just don't complain, I saw this graphic the other day. These are, these are males 25 to 54, unemployed versus not in the labor force. Now, the blue line is not in the labor force. The red line is unemployed. Males, 25 to 54. Right now in America, and by the way, this is since 1948. 1948. If you go back, and this represents, each thousand represents, uh, 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 I forget, like a a population in thousands. So 800 times 1,000, whatever, uh, 8,000 times 1,000, whatever that number would be. Um, I think it's 8 million, but look, look at this. The red line is unemployed men ages 25 to 54. We're seeing the lowest unemployment of men, you know, in a long long time. But get this, the blue line is men age 25, 54 who just don't want to work. They're just, they're not unemployed. They just don't want to work. Just don't want to work. Not in the labor force. 
they have pulled themselves out of the labor force. It's don't work. And by the way, some of these men have jobs, have still pulled themselves out of the labor force. Do you know what stands out like a sore thumb? Ask any employer in the room, any supervisor in the room. You know what stands out in the labor force? Somebody that'll show up on time, work hard, and not complain. Not cause trouble. Not be high or drunk when they show up at work. That'll come in every day. In other words, what was normal 40 and 50 years ago will skyrocket you to the ladder of success today. Be a model employee. Peter said, our proper motivation is Christ. Be like Jesus. You say, I have a bad boss. And Paul dealt with that. Paul said, don't work for your boss. Work for Jesus. Right? You're a missionary where he's planted you. Be a good missionary. Work hard for Jesus. Have a good attitude for Jesus. Encourage others for Jesus. Be holy for Jesus. Be early for Jesus. Be excellent for Jesus. Treat people well for Jesus. Don't gossip for Jesus. Don't stir up trouble for Jesus. If you're the boss, then pay people fairly for Jesus and love on people for Jesus and encourage people for Jesus and pray for people for Jesus and help them for Jesus. When our faith is under fire, that's what will make a difference. When the face under fire, the new CNN may say, those Christians, but employers will be saying, send me more. Something about those people that claim the name of Christ, they're different than the others. America needs Christians that will remember this world is not their home that are model citizens in the way we walk and the way we talk and will go to their job every day and just work for Jesus. The problem didn't start with the lost and dying world. It started when Christians fell in love with this world as much as lost people fell in love with the world. And we didn't have enough good works to shut them up and we didn't look any better on the job than anybody else did. And the culture didn't see Christ making a difference in our lives. It's bottom line. Culture didn't see Christ making a difference in our lives. You want to help God bless America? Pray for your leaders. Honor them. But much of it depends on can God find enough righteous people in America to make a difference? Would you stand with me? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that great message. And one of the things that's so such an important theme of, uh, of the book of First Peter is, man, we are not citizens of this earth. We are citizens of heaven. This world is not our home. While we're here, um, we're, we're challenged to be good citizens of where we are, but our home is in heaven. And uh, that's what we look forward to. That's what we're striving for. And so our lives as we live here on this earth need to reflect uh, the place we're from. 
And so um, maybe as you watched this morning, you were challenged in listening to the sermon. Um, and maybe there's some things that you need to put back in place in your life. Or maybe uh, you've never given your heart and life to Christ. And today God has spoken to your heart and you need to do that. It begins with you understanding that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. And then you've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross. He was buried dead in the tomb, and on the third day he rose again. He did that to fix the separation created by your sin. And then you have to confess him as your personal Lord and Savior. If you need to do that this morning, I'm going to lead in a prayer, and it is not the words that you say. It is the intent of your heart. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, We believe in our hearts, and we confess with our mouth. God's spoken to you this morning, and you need to give your heart and life to him. Tell God this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for my sin. Lord, I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day. And right now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, I ask you to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the very first time and you meant it, hey, would you do this? Would you pull out your phone and, um, and just uh, click on the link that we've just dropped in the chat box that says, I commit my life to Christ. And um, we're going to ask you a couple of questions. I'm going to connect with you this week and help you take next steps on your faith journey with Jesus. Hey, you can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. We need each other. And so let's connect in that way if you prayed to receive Christ this morning. Hey, it is our Independence Day celebration today, and we've got all kinds of events planned this evening. If you live in the greater Chattanooga area, we invite you to be on our campus. We're going to have a classic car show, food trucks, and, um, and fireworks at dark. It's going to be an awesome celebration. We'd love to see you uh, and meet you in person uh, this evening. It's been great to be together. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.